Yo, is this thing on? Man, whatever. Walk with me. Welcome back to Walk with TFB. Tim Bryson here, and as you know, I'm a Black millennial who is eager to have unfiltered conversation with authentic people centered on education, sport, and culture. Today, we are walking with an entrepreneur, digital creator, and friend. A native of Cincinnati, Ohio, she graduated from Miami University, shout out to the Oxbox, and has accumulated a diverse profile of work experiences, including but not limited to strategy and innovation, human resources, and of course, education. She is currently an MBA candidate at Lipscomb University, which she will graduate in December 2020. Our guest is the founder and director of iCamp, a summer workshop series for youth, whose curriculum centers self-discovery, financial literacy, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. This millennial became a leading voice in both local and national politics this summer after creating engaging infographics designed to educate millennials and Gen Z on the upcoming elections. Her purpose work manifested in the first Ballots and Brunch event, which I know we will dive into on this show. You know it's going to be a bomb-ass podcast when there's two Cincinnatians on the microphone. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you all to Taylor Avery. Taylor, what's going on, man? Talk to me. What's up? Nasty Natty in the house. <laughs> 513, man. Hey, look, I love to put 513 on, man. We don't get a lot, we don't get a lot of love. We really don't. Between like even just people that come out of Ohio, not that much. So we got to do what we can. You know? It is what it is. How you doing though? Happy Monday to you. I know. It's a good. I'm actually starting to like Mondays, which I know people are like, what? I actually like Mondays. Start yeah, my week off on a right. Because start your week off on the right foot. I have like a good little to-do list, get my morning coffee. And I feel like the week's about to be a good one. So awesome, I actually kind of awesome. like Mondays. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So everyone said it's unprecedented year, unprecedented times, whatever. Like, what are you doing for self-care? Self radical self-love. What's going on? What you doing? So doing a lot of face masks. Um, and actually I've done this thing where I found Groupons for facials just randomly around the city and they're cheaper, like $30 for 30 minutes, something like that. And you still get a facial. I got one last week on my lunch break. Wow. And it's just that that time, that self-care time. It's silent. They have to have a little nice uh, yoga music playing in the background. But yeah, that's one thing. Also, I'm reading a lot um, outside of school. And yeah. Well, good for you. Face mm-hmm. mask, that's definitely, I need, to, I need to get on that. But Yes. Men need, need some self-care too with that facials, <laughs> skincare hey, I'm routine. It. I'm with it. I'm good. I'm good for it. I'm good for a petty. I'm trying to go monthly, but you know, I've been slacking See? See? We can talk more about that, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but Taylor, man, so glad to have you on. I know we've known each other shit now, at least a decade. Um, at least. I was thinking that, like, what, sometime in high school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so, again, yeah, glad to have you on the pod. Um, I've been watching what you've been doing over the last, you know, several years, not just this summer. Mm-hmm. I've been super excited. It's not just uh, share your story, but really um, the work that you've been doing, the passion projects, but I call it purpose work that you really um, honed in on uh, this past summer. Yeah. Um, so as you know, I'm going to transition us into our first segment, uh, which, of course, is entitled What is Your Story? Um, Taylor, at this time, it's not you know, a time for us to you know, go down your LinkedIn or go down your resume, uh, but really talk more about who you are as a person, right? Uh, we know home is Cincinnati, but like, what values drive your decision making, uh, the importance of family, or at least the role of family in your life? Uh, but I'll let you share more of that um, in this segment. So Taylor, what is your story? Yeah, so I would say my story starts um, in New Orleans, Louisiana, which probably comes as a shock to people, but that's where I was born. Uh, my mom had me in her first year of pharmacy school at Xavier, so shout out to HBCUs too, um, and she's 23. Um, she had 
made a phone call back to home. Both her parents, my dad's parents are from Birmingham, Alabama. I have strong ties to um, some of the advocacy work that's been done there, especially during the civil rights movement. Um, my great grandparents just passed, so they still were alive and had that strong connection to the past that way. But yeah, she had me in her first year, like I said, and call home was like, I'm pregnant. And my granddaddy, her dad was like, all right, come back home and work for the state like your cousins and your grandma. She was like, you don't think I can do it? You don't think I can get through this? And he was like, no, everybody quits when you have a baby. And so hearing that no was only fuel to the fire. Um, and so her and my dad worked hard. He had already dropped out of his undergrad with a car salesman. Her and my dad worked to put her through her program, had my brother two years later to graduate on time. Mm. And that's that, that's to show you the framework of the people that I come from, which is very hardworking people. Um, once you graduated, you moved actually to Brentwood, Tennessee, where I did elementary and middle school before I came up to Ohio. She still worked at Kroger um, and managed the pharmacies. And what was cool was the duality between my parents. And so my dad was an entrepreneur and had different car businesses around Nashville. And I always thought that was really cool that she had an occupation that was so, um, what people say straight laced and was pretty to the point and followed the blueprint that people see. And then he was an entrepreneur, which is unpredictable and cool. And you can scale it as big as small as you want it. And so the duality between them was really great. Um, but in 09, eighth grade, that's when the market crashed, the whole world stood still for a second, especially economies and everything. So he lost everything. And that was another experience of seeing the highs and lows and plateaus of entrepreneurship. Um, and it's not always glamorous at all. And so it's very painful sometimes too. And what was great was the fact that her position was so stable and wasn't as dependent on the economy. I mean, she works in pharmaceuticals. Everybody, everybody's going to have pills. Big Pharma's going to make sure that people get pills and need pills. Um, and so Kroger had promoted her to Cincinnati and hence where you and I meet in high school because that's where um, I went to high school. And that was really cool. I did track cross country. I did 400, 800, shout out to my long distance runners and cross country. I also did Jack and Jill while I was in high school. So part of that community as well. Um, and I decided to stay in state and go to Miami and Oxford. It was 45 minutes up the road from Westchester and I only lived in Ohio for like four years. So I was like, I don't feel the need to up and bounce so soon, really. And that was cool. Um, I was going, in, going to be pre-med, um, following kind of my mom's track in the medical field. She really tried to get me to be a pharmacist. And I really didn't know. If, I, just, I didn't say that for myself. I thought dermatology was cool because it's a doctor, but you get to make a lot of, uh, you have a lot more flexibility. You're not on call. But there's a lot of work that goes into that. And chemistry kicked my ass and was like, mm -hmm. no. And... I did not do well my first year of school at all. And I put on the front that I did, but I did not at all. Um, raised my GPA a little bit better until my junior year. Um, and this is part of, definitely part of my testimony, but my parents after 30 years of marriage unfortunately got divorced and my brother was still in high school. So I felt this obligation to be home. I was like, I want him to have this amazing high school experience like I did or just childhood before he leaves the nest. But that, meant that I missed a lot of class. Um, <laughs> and I don't let that stop me either. So I went to study abroad. I had a Spanish minor. Of course, I go to the study abroad office at school and they're like, oh no, your GPA is low. You can't go nowhere with us. <laughs> Not with a school program. And so I was like, hmm, okay, okay. I see. Let me think about something else. I found a TEFL program where you just 
go and you get a teaching English as a foreign language certification way outside my school, but applied, saved up about $11,000 by myself as a waitress and just told my mom, I'm going. And her, of course, also my black family in Birmingham, they're like, why are you leaving? Where are you going? This, you know, we don't leave. Da, da, da. I was like, I gotta go. I, I need to experience. Went for six months, amazing experience. And that's why I tell people too, even if you hear a no, don't let that be your no. Cause there's always a way outside of whatever system there really is. Um, so that was an amazing study abroad experience, graduated. Another no I heard is I accepted a position with Hershey's when I graduated 2016 um, and moved 17 hours with my mom, my grandmother moved me up to Exeter, New Hampshire. And I was supposed to be a retail sales rep for Hershey's. Had my own little territory and I was supposed to check on products. So when you go in Kroger and you see like a s'more stand or some like Hershey's stand promoting their product, the store did not do that. A Hershey's representative drives around to different stores in a zip code and a territory and does that and tries mm -hmm. to promote Hershey's products as best they can and make good uh, relationships with store managers and stuff. And that was my job. They were gonna give me a car, um, but I moved 17 hours the weekend before I was supposed to start. And they were like, your offer has been rescinded. <laughs> and what I was like, what? <laughs> Yet again, another no, but I was like, oh, you can't be, you can't be serious. I, my mom was like, we're gonna work it out. She gonna be in a hotel just while I waited. And I, I didn't bring a car purposely because they were supposed to give me one. Exactly. So I'm just in this hotel waiting. And my mom had made a call to a number of her friends who were also like higher up in other companies. I finally got the VP of Hershey's HR on the phone, found out that someone had made a mistake in my background check. And so just so you guys know, if a company's insuring you with a car, typically you cannot have more than three moving violations, i.e. speeding tickets within a certain mm. period of time. And your girl was moving. <laughs> I had like five <laughs> and they, but they should have caught that. So yes, it is what it is, but they shouldn't have waited. I set the position in March of 2016. They shouldn't have waited until June of 2016 until I was supposed to start. Agreed, um, agreed. <laughs> but they had already accepted the relocation package, all of that. So they gave me a stipend. Um, I'm sure just for good gracious, good graces so I wasn't too mad, but I felt embarrassed, even though it wasn't even my fault. Um, I told everyone I'm working for Hershey's, all of that, and I didn't want to go home yet. I was like, oh, no, they're all going to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed with the support of my mom and my, just my family in general for two months and applied to jobs and worked my butt off. Got a roommate. It was great. Um, right around the time, mom was like, all right, it's day 60, and it's time for you to come home. I'm tired of paying for da da da. And I was like, oh, wait, 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 hold on. And I ended up getting a job with New Balance in HR right when she was like, pack up your shit and bring your ass home. Because <laughs> I had no family in New Hampshire, like, girl. Um, and so I got a position in New Balance. And where Exeter sits is the southernmost point of New Hampshire. So it's like 35, 40 minutes outside of Boston. And so I was commuting and amazing experience. I, had friends of friends who were from the AUC, shout out to Spelman and Morehouse and Clark. And so they all had like a whole area in Roxbury, Massachusetts. And I just kick it with them all the time outside of work. Um, but that was my HR experience. And because the universe and God has a sense of humor, my position was a 
talent acquisition coordinator, handling interviews, relocation packages, and background checks. So the same position that someone messed up, messed me up on in a different company, I had the same position later in a different company. So it was kind of funny. Um, but I still would say too, in that story, I was leaning on my faith more than anything. I was out there by myself and was really trying to make it work because I had this feeling on the inside that I, was, I wasn't brought here just to be brought here and that's it. Like there's something else here for me and I'm staying until I get it. And I was fortunate to have family to support me in that moment because I'm, I'm not rushing over that because that's true. I did have financial support, but to be able to get that experience and, and listen, so sit in stillness and listen um, was huge. And so I had my contract position with New Balance for about a year. And then the VP of New Balance, a PR, made a dumb statement and came out and was like, we as a company support Trump. Yep. It was in 2016, right when like one of the most, the most polarizing elections ever, you know, in our lifetime. Yep. And people were like, what? And New Balance is the only company, if you didn't know um, some listeners, that is the only company that manufactures their shoes domestically in the United States. So of course Adidas, Nike, everyone else goes and outsources. New Balance is the only ones that only ones that use um, talent here in Nashville. I mean, sorry, in the United States. And that is largely Hispanic and Latino workers that work in those factories that build those shoes, who Trump talks about poorly all the time. And so they of course were demanding his head. They were like, we don't support, how can you say the company support we don't? So they shoe um, factory workers were quitting, people in corporate were quitting, people were taking videos, burning New Balance shoes, because it was a big thing, it was very polarizing. And it's a retail company, so retail slows, corporate slows. Yep. Cuts are made. First cuts are internships, co-ops, and contracts, and that was me. So I was out. And I was like, dang, here we are again. What do we do now? Um, and I'm smiling and I'm laughing, but I was stressing hard. I was like, okay. I worked at this little consignment boutique for a month and a half. And I, I was actually gearing up to apply for graduate school then to get my MBA and applying for a, um, a job just anywhere. I was applying everywhere. And I will say there's power and proximity because my mom's friends said, hey, I heard of a job that's over there in Vanderbilt. Don't know exactly what it is, the manager position, but Taylor should apply. And I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm fine anything, so yes. But it was a manager position at the time, I'm 22. So I'm like, oh, wow, well, I'm reaching for the stars and I'm hoping I land somewhere. Um, and when I submitted my application, the woman who's a higher supervisor, an amazing black woman, and shout out to anybody who has a black female supervisor, it's a life changing experience. Um, she called me and was like, Taylor, is this Taylor Avery? Like, from the Avery family. And I was like, you know me? And she actually was the wife of the pastor of the church that was my family went to when I lived in Nashville. Wow. So all that elementary middle school, she remembered me being in the pew with my family. We were there every Sunday when late. And she was like, oh yeah, you gotta come here. And I remember if I paid for the flight for the interview or if they did, I think I did. But I was so excited the opportunity. Um, I went there and um, interviewed with everyone and I was the least qualified candidate. And by that, I mean, I was the only one without a master's. I had just freshly graduated from undergrad. Um, 
and didn't have that much experience outside of New Balance for a year in an entry-level position, basically. Um, yet and still, I got it, the position. And I accepted it in March of 2017. I've been there ever since, and I've been there for about four years and have been the manager of their collaboration space for the hospital. Wow. Yeah. yeah yo, listen, <laughs> if you, if we're going to flesh out a lot, of, a lot of what you just shared, uh, first and foremost, thank you for opening up and sharing uh, parts of your story, especially those that, um, you know, you hold tight to you. Mm-hmm. But if you are, have not thought about starting your own podcast yet, you, you should think about it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I, will, I'm I, will, I will help you start it. But, but I got one question. I have a lot of questions, but one in particular, because you mentioned the importance, and I think all of us can agree, the importance of HBCUs, yeah. but you chose not to go to one. Now, I know you mentioned, obviously, you just moved to Cincinnati. Uh, you mentioned your, your friends in the AUC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, like, did you apply to any HBCUs? Did you consider? Yeah. I'm just curious, I, why, like, why Miami? That's a good question. I did, and I actually applied to Spelman, got in, didn't get any scholarships. Um, I applied to Xavier in Louisiana, and at the time I was kind of pre-med, but I wasn't sure on it. I knew I was doing it because I knew my dad wanted me to be a doctor. Mm. Um, but Miami honestly gave me the most money. And at the time, my dad had lost all of his businesses. Money was pretty important. And it was close to home, and all those other factors were there. So I figured, I would say I figured at some point I knew I wanted to continue my education that I would go to one. Um, And I was going to say this for later, but that's why I'm applying to Howard Law because that's my last, that's my last shot (laughs) to get the HBC experience. I see it. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Um, You mentioned Kroger too. And I I think even when you were sharing that, I was like, damn, like my family got the Cincy from Kroger as well. I never realized that. Yeah, I my, my grandma. Yeah, my grandma and my grandfather, uh, at least our first husband, they both worked for Kroger. And so I put like my mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's like people from Cincinnati, it's like, oh, my dad works at PG, my mama works at GE, or I watch Chiquita. Mm-hmm. Like you Kroger. don't know Cincinnati has is a hub for a lot of companies. GE, PG, Kroger, all of that. Like Cincinnati wow. has a lot there. That's that's some dope shit. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, Howard Law is definitely coming. Uh, we've been praying over that, manifesting that piece. Yes. Uh, so anyone from Howard Law has a connect to Howard Law, make sure you connect with Taylor Avery um, after the show. Uh, but transition us into segment two, right? Um, and again, I shared in your bio earlier, you know, I camp, uh, the ballots and brunch, that was like super dope uh, and excited about this past summer. Um, but the theme of season two is being more than a millennial. And I think what you, I know what you just shared, particularly your story, um, is so powerful in many different ways. I've been thinking about not just how how we grew up, right, right, how, how you were raised, um, different life situations and circumstances that have definitely helped pivot and, and um, force us to think in different ways. Um, but really growing up as a millennial um, in Cincinnati, but also in, in uh, the Nashville area as well. Uh, so before we dive into iCamp and Ballots and Brunch and the infographics and everything else that you do outside of your, you know, your nine to five, if you will, mm-hmm. um, Taylor, in your opinion, you know, what does it mean to be more than a millennial? So I remember um, when I was living, when I was working in New Balance and hanging out with my friends at AUC, there was a young man who was from Morehouse and he had made a statement that stuck with me forever. And, I, and, and words are funny because we all know a lot of words in the alphabet, but the way that he organized his this statement, I'll never forget it. And that's, this is what I preach. Um, and he was saying that the things that he does, the sacrifice he's made and makes continuously is because there are people before him who don't even know him, knew they would never meet him, 
and made sacrifices and endured discomfort for him to even be sitting here in this spot. Mm-hmm. And to me, what it means to be a millennial is to continue to pay that forward. And with my family, my great-grandparents just passed and they were born and raised in the deep, deep South. My great-grandfather just passed like a month ago. He would have sat up and told you about his brothers who were lynched and watched that. And that's something that I've been, I've had every single summer of my life growing up and been that connected to my past and to my ancestors and to my great-great-grandparents. Mm-hmm. And what it means and at the end of the day for me is to pay that forward for not only our ancestors, but the men, the women, who paved the way, who endured discomfort, and even put their lives on the line for us to be in a lot of spaces that they knew that they wouldn't even be able to touch, but knew that someone that looked just like them would be able to be in that space one day. And it was worth it for that reason. Mm. And so the, for, the luxury we have now as millennials is that we can pick and choose our discomfort. Pick and choose kind of our sacrifices. They're not forced upon us. And that's a good and a bad thing because people also can opt out entirely. But I think what makes a lot of millennials that um, make different sacrifices, whether that be their protesting, and I'll get into my infographics, whether that be they use their brain or they use their resource powers to provide resources for other people, is that we can choose whatever discomfort and so open the doors and pave the way for people to come up after us Mm. and be in those spaces. That's a, I'm glad you shared that. Number one, uh, that's a really good point. I think we oftentimes think about those coming, those who are coming after us, right? Mm-hmm. And seldom they spend more time or just as equal time for those. Again, to, to my man's point, mm-hmm. who came before us, before us, but weren't even thinking about us. But also those who we know came before us, right? Our grandparents, right. grandparents, and we're, you know, honoring their legacy and their work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that you're doing right now, you know, I camp, right, is helping to create a path for those coming behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk to us more about, you know, what, what iCamp is, how did iCamp start? Yeah. Tell us more about that. Definitely. So I accepted the position, like I said, in 2017 at the collaboration space at Vanderbilt Hospital. And it was really cool because I got to see um, a facilitative process of a team of consultants. Those are people in my department, the strategy innovation department, helping doctors, cl- um, other clinicians, researchers, and me- medical center faculty achieve a goal, whether that be expand research in their department, um, get used to new leadership or apply for a grant, the list goes on, right? And that was so fun. But then I realized soon, quickly, that it was a lot of white men there. And it is what it is. Like it's an observation. It's also Vanderbilt. We're also in the South and whatever, we're in the academia atmosphere. But it was, it was just very, it was not diverse. And that even went into the reactions I got from people because I was a young black female telling them no or yes, if they can use the space or not. Mm. That was interesting. We can get in that too. But there was no diversity. (laughs) And I was like, I wish I had something like this growing up. And I was fortunate growing up that I had Jack and Jill and a great school system and and great parents who made me write essays in the summertime to practice my writing skills and Jack and Joe, I did public speaking practice. So I was able to uh, effectively articulate my thought processes in a cohesive manner. Um, but not everyone has that. Not even not everyone in our community has that. And I kept thinking about this idea. And T.D. Jakes also talks about this in one of his sermons is getting ideas downloaded and trying to keep up with God. So an idea is getting downloaded. And he's like, I'm writing all over the place trying to keep up. And that's really how it was. And I took this idea to my pastor at my church. Um, and said, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about doing something like this in a church? 
And I was unsure because it's a church. This is about innovation. This is about um, forethought and, you know, not necessarily a religious-based camp. And she stood up from her desk and was like, I prayed for someone like you. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was this huge moment that we both were just almost in tears, like kind of hold each other. And, um, because I guess we have both separately, not even knowing of one another, we're hoping for something like this to come mm. in our community. And so my camp sits with my church as a sponsor, St. John AME, African Methodist Episcopal Church is the oldest AME church in the state of Nashville, the state of Tennessee. It sits in North Nashville, um, actually right before Tomato, it got destroyed with a tornado right before COVID in Nashville, but it still is home to North Nashville community. And that's where Fisk, Meharry, and TSU sit, which are three large historic HBCUs mm-hmm. right off Jefferson Street. And so it was very timely and the place was perfect. And so she was open to it. So my first year in business, business quote unquote, <laughs> was 2018. <laughs> and she said, we'll take care of everything. If the students need supplies, they need food, We'll take care of it. We just want to support you in your work and the service you want to provide to our community. And anyone who has an idea similar to this, whether whatever, if it's nonprofit related or community-based, I always suggest partnering with an establishing organization. And it could be a church, it could be a community center, but somewhere where they already have a space available and see what resources they have ready to use for you because it could be very, it could be mutually beneficial. But the first year I had at most like seven kids, including two of my cousins. <laughs> and I was so excited though, because I had built out this whole curriculum. I had like set up this whole thing. And it was really because I younger, how do I say this? When I got older, I met a lot of people in our community who didn't have the same opportunities to exercise and grow transferable skills. And those skills are the ones like public speaking, practicing leadership, standing up in front of a room, um, time management or organization. You know, the list goes on, but those soft skills that people forget about. And sometimes in our community, we don't have that extra time or energy to, to practice and exercise. And um, I was recognized, I realized how important that was where I was sitting. And so that's what the whole curriculum is based around. And so it's eight sessions and it, they're compounding each one goes from the I, the we, to the us. So the I starts with um, self-discovery, and that's like yoga every morning. <laughs> and we talk about affirmations, positive affirmations. We talk about how to effectively communicate our emotions and how to pinpoint what our emotions are um, and how to even find out what are good and bad relationships in our lives. So we have like a recipe activity. We go on to skill building, and that could look very different depending upon what speakers I have come in. But one, for example, if I don't have one, I always lean back on graphic facilitation. And so I basically, with what that means is I can listen to a podcast or a TED Talk, TED Talk and translate what's being said into images. And that's mm-hmm. also on my Instagram page, which I'll give out later. But that is, it builds out in a large visual board of the content being said. And so I teach kids how to do that because it helps with comprehension and recall and remembering um, schoolwork and just content. But then it goes on to financial literacy, still kind of focus on the I, entrepreneurship, the we, mentorship, the we, um, teamwork, and then the us, which is the vision workshop and the exposure workshop, exposure days. And we have other organizations like National Public um, Relations Society of America will come in and do an activity. 
and that's an example. But that's the format and the framework of the camp itself. So that first year I had like nine kids doing all this. Second year we got about 17. Wow. Um, and that's still different siblings, um, which is really cool around the national area and a little further out. And though it was intimate and I was like, oh, I mean, I'm doing this all for free. I'm not getting paid for this. All my kids get free food and they get free things. But it was just so fun to see them excited. I had my friends come. I made it like a whole thing. So my friends, hey, if you're available to volunteer, you'll get free lunch too. And I have friends who come for free lunch, but also um, would come and talk to kids. And these kids are 11 to about 13 or just that middle school age. And that is the age they want to know what other millennials like us and people close to age are doing. They're nosy. They're like, yep. oh, you got a boyfriend? Yep. And you can totally just not answer them, obviously. But you can also be like, yeah, but I'm in school right now. Oh, where do you go to school? Oh, what's it like to be a PhD student? And then you are the first PhD student they've ever seen. And they see your black face. Mm. That's why I always think it's so cool. Because I, I didn't have that, I don't think. I, I kind of did here and there, but not in a space where it was just constant and fed into me, I think. Um, but yeah, second year was in person, got about 17 kids. And then last year, which is this year, this summer, we did it virtual because of COVID. And our reach though was crazy. We got about 25 kids. Wow. We had two families from Canada. And yeah, one family from California, a couple from New York, Texas, North Carolina, and Tennessee, and I think, oh, in Alabama. But I mean, it was 25 people on Zoom, but they had siblings. And so it's like, it might be just one person logged on, but it's two or three kids sitting there with yeah. each other. And that, that's the, really, the, the vision for the camp is that um, they get to exercise these design thinking skills and solutions designing um, and that possibilities are there. And there's not always one right answer. And let's talk about the pros and cons of all the right answers. And then putting in front of them also people who represent possibility. So a young black entrepreneur, a young black um, engineer, PhD student, um, and they're like, well, I'm, I'm, and to them, they've never even seen, and even their parents will say, I've, I don't even, I've never met some of these type of people before. And for anyone who's interested in starting something like this, I would say as a person who's a catalyst to doing it, I had to put myself in a lot of rooms um, to be able to expand my network enough and then bring them in. And so, you know, you can't, like all can't be done from your bedroom type of thing. I had to, I didn't have to, but I applied to two young professional leadership programs. And I always say whatever city you're in, Google those, because those are cool and they're fun, um, but your network will grow so fast. Um, one was a leadership institute and another was a program called Nashville Emerging Leaders. So if you're also in Nashville area, please apply to that and let me know I'm alumni and I'll suggest you to it. But National Emerging Leaders um, is a big, big one. They have an award they give out to every year. Um, and it's, those are ways as a person who is wanting to start something, whatever you wanna start, you have to also be that catalyst to bring in those people and make those connections for the community you're trying to serve. And that can be daunting. So I'm not saying like it's easy at all, but it can be fun too. So I, don't, I want it to also be fun. <laughs> No, I mean, so everything you're saying, I think is um, is dope as fuck, right? But I think it really comes down to purpose, and that's the word I you know, constantly use. And I think accurately describes like what you're doing, um, mm -hmm. not just in Nashville, but again, local and international. Um, but one thing I'm curious to learn more about, right, is that you mentioned you're a psych major, have a psych mm -hmm. degree. 
um, obviously you're earning your MBA, shout out to the 2020 graduates, yes. uh, have experience in HR, right? But you mentioned, you know, skills like design thinking, curriculum mm -hmm. development, which I know just looking at syllabi uh, from students at Maryland, you know, design thinking is not in their psych, you know, course yeah. plan. So like, how did you learn these skills? Like, where did you pick these skills up from? Like, how did you invest in yourself to really um, refine those, um, these mm -hmm. skills? Like, where did that come from? Honestly, my job. And so I got paid to learn those. Um, this innovations and that that does make a big difference. I got paid to learn a lot of those tools um, and facilitative processes at Vanderbilt. And so I manage the environment. I manage a center. And so if you boil down what I do, I always say it's like I'm running a business for somebody else. I keep the lights on and make the thing, make sure the bills are paid, people are fed. Um, they who can and who cannot use the center. I'm making the high level decisions. And I'm also vacuuming and wiping tables. So it's mm -hmm all over the place. But the other people, my two teammates are these two uh, consultants. And so they come in the center and help consult and use those processes. And my team knew before I got there, because there's a lady that was before me and she left because she said the pigeon was pigeon, the position was pigeonholed, meaning there wasn't really anywhere for her to go yeah. after that. Because what you learn in it is you can like go manage a we workspace Yep. or learn how to, or, you you know, design events, but it's, unless you're getting that consultant experience, you really just know how to manage a facility, and okay. so I started getting that consultant experience, and long answer to your question is that I got paid to learn that. Yeah, I figured, uh, I, think it's, <laughs> I figured, I think it's good to know that, right, but I think what we, at least oftentimes, you know, professional development conferences, yeah. or like even like the Nashville Leaders thing, we, we like look external to learn, to grow, mm -hmm. right, to get better, and oftentimes the environment is what we're sending like, yes. like what skills can I learn what skills can I pick up uh, what new ideas can I can be challenged I mean so I'm and glad applied you somewhere else too yes exactly. I'm all about that application come on now I, you gotta download download it and apply it yo and mm -hmm. but you've done that right you've applied it also through these infographics um yeah like it took my I was like damn she's posting like I think it was Nashville then it was like Cincinnati and DC and then all of a sudden you're doing like a brunch <laughs> like what like <laughs> were you just sitting in your house one day and say yo I'm gonna make an infographic like how did this idea come about you know what's crazy? I, I, it sounds that's literally what happened though. <laughs> and then, so I manage a space that's my full time job. Between when March hit and COVID was oh so bad, nobody wants to be you know around each other. No one's meeting in a space. My job is to manage a space people meet in. So what am I doing? Not much to be honest, and that's fine. Um, and then also the clients we have that we serve are physicians and faculty member who are on the front lines trying to keep other people alive and keep their families and the kids are getting taken out of school. So my team was very much just trying to um, sit it out for months. And I remember for the voter guide one, I forgot what stemmed my brain for that one. I just knew that I wanted to do something to help get informed. So I started out with a Google Doc and I saw someone else like a Google Doc on Instagram and I was like, okay, that's cute. And then I would discover Canva, which is an amazing platform um, to make graphics very easily um, and very user-friendly. And I started putting that research into a more visually stimulating and engaging format. Once I did that, I shared just with a couple of my friends, like, do you like this? Does this look okay? Is it readable? And they're like, yeah, this is, yes, you know, send this to me so I can take it with me to the polls. And that was a trigger was, this is, this is usable. Yes, they can take this with them and they can be sitting in line scrolling through Instagram and know like, okay, this candidate is pro this, is anti this, voted on this bill. You know, I don't agree with that bill. And 
as millennials, we're all about convenience. We want that convenience, whatever we do. And that was the idea. So I, that's why I posted it. And it went everywhere. That one, I think, got like around 2,000 or something likes. But the comments were what gets me. The comments was like, no, I can use this today. I can. And what was awesome is I felt like people who shared it, liked it, used it, were less felt less intimidated to go vote. And that's huge because voting, there's already a lot of voter suppression tactics built up against you before you even make the decision to go in the first place. Let alone when you're there, there's even another layer of them being like, oh, they uh, do this filtration system and they'll say, oh, you're not registered. You really are, but they will act. I was, I, I'm using air quotes and say accidentally, but they take people out of the system that are actually eligible to vote. Um, and that's discouraging. So giving them that one, like another small resource to help them feel comfortable while waiting, um, that they feel confident in who they're voting for. Cause you're gonna see a bunch of names you've never seen before. And you also don't feel guilty making the wrong decision. Cause you're like, dang, did I just vote for someone who's, you know, gonna make a bad decision in my community. Um, but that's how that first one came about. And then the second one that was like the big one that Tim's referring to is my alternative numbers to 911. And that yeah. came around the Black Lives Matter movement. At the time I was in Atlanta visiting friends and family. And I will be honest, I felt a level of anxiety around putting my black body on the front lines in the protests. And just because at the time they were like, they were doing a lot of different things, I wasn't sure. And that's fair because I don't want anyone who also was feeling the same level of anxiety, that's okay. Because in any movement, everyone has a different role. And it's okay if your role is on the front or it's okay if your role is over here as a therapist and making sure people are okay. Um, or the medic who's, who's taking care of people. Everyone has a role. And in that, I was like, what can I do to provide another resource that's usable? And a lot of my infographics aren't like, some of them are cutesy, but the main goal of them is to be usable. Mm -hmm. And I thought of, there's a guy, Charles Kinsey, back in like 2018, who is a, he's a black man. Um, he had a mental patient leave his facility, was trying to catch him down the street. Someone called the cops and was like, there's a black man with a, a gun. It was not a gun, it was a toy. Um, but they ended up shooting Charles, who was a nurse for this facility. He lived, thank God. But the situation was unnecessary. They didn't, the, the cops didn't even need to be there. The situation didn't need to be criminalized. This is just a patient that needs to be, get back, be taken back to the facility safely. And I thought to myself, there has to be other resources that our taxpayer dollars pay for to help situations like this. So I started researching my own city, like, what are that? And so even from that article, there was mental crisis units. And I was like, okay, there's one. Instead of calling the cops, we call mental crisis unit. They'll be there in two seconds and they help you with someone who's mentally unstable. There has to be more. There's suicide prevention line. There's domestic hotlines. There are, the list goes on. And I'm like, there's six to eight I put on each city. But I literally, in Serum lets you have 10 slides. I made 10 slides of 10 cities and 10, like eight to six hotline numbers for each city. And that is one that like got like 25,000, like just, it blew up. And I thought that was so cool. Only because the comments, I was like, this is usable. This is great. Please use this. Um, and also start a dialogue. People in comments are like, what if I still have an intruder though? And I'm like, bro, they're still going to call the cops. Duh. Like that's imminent danger. But like, if you call a domestic hotline, say you're in danger, your abusers upstairs, you can still see me like, hey, I just need to leave. Is there a place I can go to right now? They will give you that. You need to call the cops for that. 
and then make the situation potentially worse, you need to know where a shelter is close by you or they'll come pick you up real quick and you go. Like there's just other resources, like I said, that our taxpayers pay for that are more specialized for specific situations. And I posted that one, people were like, we need more cities, post another one and just kept going. But um, that's how the infographics birth was. I was sitting at home and I was thinking, what could I do? <laughs> I, asked Tori, uh, I asked Tori this when she was on the podcast last season. Like, what does your phone do when you get 20,000 Instagram likes? Like, what is that? What is that like? You just put on the charger just left and walked away? Like, what, what happens? Well, first, I don't have my notifications on, like, okay. to show up my phone. So I I suggest don't even do that because that's going to give you anxiety, like, real bad. You're going to be like, um, but with your notifications are off, every, off, every time you open it, it's going to have at the bottom, you know, normal people will have, like, one or, like, a couple of likes. Yeah. It'll yeah. have, like, a line. It'll have, like, like, comment, share follow it'll have a line of red and then numbers next to those icons wow so i have like 400 likes 56 follow like it was crazy like mentions whatever it was cool i had people randomly pay me people like be like i just want to support you what's your cash app and just randomly pay me yeah no that's a that's a that's a big point um so i hope i'm glad your labor is not going uh, Mm -hmm. unpaid number one but then i guess in the comments of the infographic, someone was like, yo, like, where's the bottomless mimosas? Like, what, how did this brunch happen? <laughs> like, so where did it come from? I know. So, Ballots and Brunch was an uh, idea I came up with because we were, there was articles floating around about voter turnout being really low. On top of the fact, it's always, it's always an issue because voter suppression. And then people are weary about mailing in ballots. And then people aren't leaving their homes. There's less canvassing door to door to get people out of their homes to go to the polls. So, it's, it's really uncertain what it's going to look like. Um, a lot of polling locations have closed too around the country. The lines are going to be super long. So if you can go vote early, do that now. But I, the joke I made is we need to clearly have a brunch at the polls or something because that's going to get us millennials out because brunch is life. For me, I love brunch. And it'll get people excited to go and da da da. So I had this idea at first. And I remember a friend of mine was like, ooh, democracy and dinner. Ooh, ballots and brunch. And I was like, I like ballots and brunch. I like that one. Um, and at first, I was gonna have, I was gonna give everyone like a voter guide, and then we all go together to the poll. But my brother made a joke like, you're gonna get people liquored up, and then tell them to go stand in a line at a poll, <laughs> drunk. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> but in theory, it sounds cool because you're not going alone. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> So end up just being a, a brunch where um, I create actually a QR code um, for my website and you can click that or hover your camera over it like you do at restaurants now where the menus mm-hmm. are and it'll be a link where you can register to vote, check your status, whatever state you're in, and add a menu for the event and then also add table topics and add information on the candidates. And mm-hmm. so on each table, people were talking the whole time. Um, they got to see who's going to be on their ballot. Um, and discuss some of those people pros and cons to them and that was the purpose was to I did provide liquor yes but it was to have fun and get people informed and have a good time um, and get people out too it was very COVID safe so I know some people were like it's COVID <laughs> they're together we was masked up and it was only it was less than 20 people so he was worried <laughs> and that was and what month was that again that was last uh, no was that August or it was August or September you think is there is there a future doing this 
even post this, this general election coming up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to do another one um, soon, actually, because November 6th is voting day. Um, and so what I hope is to do one between now and then with a physical voter guide in people's hands mm -hmm. and they can see. Because um, I pulled the information from all the candidates' platforms and just boil it down maybe five to eight bullet points. They're pro this, anti this, where they stand on whatever. So you can sift through it real quick and be like, I agree with that person. I don't agree with them. And now you're informed. It could be that simple. It does take obviously legwork, but it could be that simple. And that's that's what I like providing. Most definitely, yeah, simple and usable. Uh, right. Where that keeps uh, being revealed in this conversation. But I also think that event in itself, at least in my 27 years and seven months of living, mm -hmm. it's probably one of the most innovative events, but also one of the most um, relatable events for millennials, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, yo, come here, mimosas, read, discuss, like, yes. <laughs> download, apply. We're doing it right now, right here. Yep. Yeah. Uh, with your homies. Um, and so, Taylor, uh, transition us into segment three, um, not just, again, your story, not just what I can't, not just your uh, personal and professional journey, mm -hmm. not just with the infographics and brunch, um, but there's a lot that you have going on um, that yeah. you're taking ownership of. And I love it. Honestly, I love it. Um, but I also recognize that, and you mentioned it earlier, right? We can't do it alone. Um, it takes mm -hmm. a village. It takes a strong circle. Um, and so I'm curious to know how can I best support you, but also how can our listening community best support you as well? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have, um, so my Instagram is at tiptoptaylor, and on there you'll find my website where you can reach out to me. Um, I'm putting together another Ballots and Brunch event, and so for anyone who'd love to come work with me, um, help do research, um, because I have gotten clients from other past infographics, I'm able to collaborate with people, and let's work together on this voter guide, the voter guides of different cities. Um, and provide it to the public. So that's one way. Um, I'm still brainstorming because I get ideas and then I just go. I'm a very decisive, quick person. And so I get an idea and then I just like do it. Um, but I'm still working on how to best engage people. And that's one that's really, really good. And I'd love to get more of my friends involved about the brunch. I haven't thought about having one in Cincinnati. So having another one here in Nashville and then going up and finding a location that's COVID friendly and having one up there with my friends and stuff too. So if anyone has ideas about venues and has ideas on how they could help me make that process easier, I'm super open to that because that would be really fun. And they can, we can take this on the road and do that together. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I told you before, like you need to trade, trademark that. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna put you in contact, or at least put on a shirt or a damn uh, little flute so we can, mm -hmm. we can sip out of that uh, at, our, at the event. Um, but as we close today, is there anything else you want to share, announce, amplify to the world, uh, at least anyone who's listening to our show today? Mm -hmm. um, everyone, stay informed. Um, continue to walk in your purpose. Continue to sit still with yourself so you can hear those things that within you that maybe not that aren't loud all the time, but things you really enjoy doing. And let those things lead you because that's where your heart goes and that's where you'll be able to dive into and and that type of work won't even seem like work because it'll be so fun and that's so stay informed stay still sometimes and just listen to yourself and those passion projects um, and stay open to opportunities don't close yourself off too and be okay with being uncomfortable sorry and i have all these little tidbits now because in my journey as i shared earlier i was uncomfortable multiple times in my process being all the way out in new hampshire coming back here um, having opportunities that I thought were certain and then them slipping away. 
um, being okay with things changing, being adaptable, because as God can teach you to call you um, to your purpose, he also needs you to be a little ambidextrous, which is a big word, but he needs you to be flexible. He needs you to be adaptable um, and find the rooms that you're in. And lastly, this one I want to touch on, even if you don't feel qualified, the things that you don't feel qualified, God will use um, to lead you and to liberate other people. Mm. And though you might feel insecure about it, he's called you there for a reason. And to lean on that and be sure in that, even though you might not, but it, it takes some practice and you have to talk to yourself and listen to some sermons, that's okay. But those things that make that you feel you're not qualified for, he uses that. So. Yeah, so I don't know if you're talking to the listeners or talking to me, or maybe it was both. <laughs> hey, but I appreciate I appreciate that because you you struck a chord uh, just now, Taylor. Um, but again, gotta just say thank you. Um, thank you yeah. times a thousand, I say times a million, times a billion, times a trillion uh, for your time. Again, your labor, your energy, uh, your vulnerability, your authenticity on joining us on the show today. Um, I know we talked before about Howard Law, and again, we're already manifesting it. That's just going to yes. happen. Yes. Once thank you. Do, thank sure you. I'll be sure to put Howard Law flag on the pennant on a pennant wall behind me, y'all. Just you know, to celebrate your accomplishment. Also, yes, again, thank you so much do. for your time today, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me here, guys. Thank you. Of course. So for everyone else, y'all, make sure you're following uh, Walk with TNB on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you're not subscribed, with your post notifications on uh, for both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But at this point, again, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, look forward to having more unfiltered conversation with authentic people, authentic millennial people centered on education, sport, and culture moving forward. Um, again, go vote, go vote early. Mm -hmm. uh, but until then, walk with me.